Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, podcast listeners. Um, another Charlie from the future slash past slash present <laughs> moment. Um, you're getting used to these um, little preludes, preludes, preludes as well. <laughs> um, so due to our paternity leave, we're actually going to play you an archived episode now. This was a preview episode that the wonderful Neil Patrick Stewart, who's the head of BFA acting at Texas State, um, agreed to do so I could practice the college interview format. Um, just so you know, we wouldn't normally double a program so quickly because we already had the wonderful Caitlin Hopkins on from the musical theater program at Texas State. Though I will say we are going to go back and catch some of those acting programs at schools that have both. So a school like Michigan um, or Texas State where they have a musical theater program and an acting program that is separate. We will try to catch um, both of those. We're going to try to get a little bit more of an array of all the schools in general. But because Neil was kind enough to do this and he was so brilliant, we thought it is worth releasing to all of you to hear. Um, if I sound a a little more nervous and unsure of myself than I will be in episodes to come. That's because I am. That's exactly what's happening. It's my first time doing it. Luckily, Neil, I think, was brilliant enough to kind of carry the episode. Um, and it still sounds really good, even though I fumble a little bit as we go. Um, speaking of paternity leave, I just want to take a second and say thank you to all of you for the immense outpouring of love we have received since announcing our birth. Um, Solvay and Mama are both happy and healthy, and everyone's doing really well. We're just kind of figuring out this new rhythm of life, which is a little different on our end um, with uh, what is now a 14-year-old, 14-year-old, 14-day-old <laughs> baby. If he's 14 years old, then it really does go fast. Oh, um, you're really also, transcending time, Charlie. Uh, well, that's the way to go. Future, past, present. Exactly. Present is the hard one. Um, but also speaking of paternity, I just wanted to give a little shout out to Neil. You won't hear it on the episode because it was before it was official, but um, he and his lovely wife, Lindsay Lab, who's also a wonderful artist uh, in and of herself, um, are expecting in a few months. So they're expecting a little baby boy. Um, okay, back to the past, future, however it works. I hope you enjoy this preview episode with Neil. Hello, hello, and welcome to Mapping the College Audition, a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I'm your host, Charlie Murphy, co-director of MTCA, Musical Theater College Auditions. And today we have a really fun show lined up for you. We recorded this a little while back with one of my good friends and colleagues, Neil Patrick Stewart. I know Neil from the Performing Arts Project, known as TPAP, um, where he runs the Blueprint Program. It's the first of one of their multiple summer programs they offer each summer. I've taught there the last few years, and it is a fantastic program. And kind of fun fact about me and Neil, we don't bring it, I don't bring it up in the interview, but a few years ago, I subbed in for him as a teacher. I got to kind of live his whole life. I like, you know, hung out with his wife, taught all of his classes, and it was, it was a very fun sort of experience of wearing somebody else's shoes in a real way. This is, episode is another one of our college deep dives, where you're going to find a snackable audio tour to get you a view into various great theater programs around the country. Some things we get into with Texas State, we talk about what makes it unique in terms of their costs, very unique and wonderful, their approach, some of the different styles. We talk about what they look for in an audition. You're going to hear the word unconventionativity a lot of times. And how much of the audition is about the intangibleness versus how much is about the skill presented. I think it was an interesting discussion there. 
And then we talk a little bit about equity and the future of virtual auditions. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Let's get to that interview. All right. I'm here with Neil Patrick Stewart. Neil is a writer, a director, an actor, and a teacher. He has two books on the bookshelves of major bookstores. The first one is called Fact, Fact, and then a word I will not say on this podcast. And then the next one is Headlines, Headlines, Headlines. You like those repeated titles, Neil. Very interesting. Numerous directing credits across the country and numerous acting credits, including a kind of fun fact. He's the former creative director of New York's Backhouse Productions, where he co-directed the first couple years of The Lab developing In the Heights with Lin-Manuel and Tommy Kale, our people you may have heard of in this world. He has an MFA from ART and a BA in theater from Wesleyan University. And he teaches at Texas State. He teaches acting, characterization, and improvisation, and is the head of BFA Acting. Uh, a little bit about Texas State. Uh, Texas State is located in San Marcos, Texas. They offer a BA in theater, a BFA in musical theater, a BFA in acting, and then about 10 other BFAs in the theater world. Uh, in fact, on their website, you can read their mission statement is to offer a diverse range of degrees in theater, allowing our students to find a program suited to their skills and interests. Neil, how did we do there? Do we cover you and Texas State relatively well? You're doing great so far. Yeah. Oh, good. That's great. A good snapshot. Well, Neil, let's get a little bit into your own background. I mean, for the most part, we're going to focus on on Texas State, but I'd love to. If this sort of episode on, if this is an episode on the college edition, what's the previously on? How did how did you find yourself to kind of be in this position? Uh, well, I have been involved for years and years and years since I was 18 with summer musical theater programs. Uh, I sort of grew up in a summer musical theater program, and then over the years started to have a sort of a student leadership role. Mm -hmm. And then eventually I became something that I've never heard of since, a junior faculty member. And then I became a faculty member. And then when we founded our current summer program, the Performing Arts Project, um, in the shuffle, I became the associate artistic director. And so it was through these summer programs where I would meet students from all over, um, from multiple schools and high schools, um, that I was invited to come to Texas State by Caitlin Hopkins, who's the head of the musical theater program, um, to do a workshop. And it was right place at the right time. Uh, mm. Another faculty member um, suddenly took a job at Carnegie Mellon and disappeared. And it was late in the year and they needed a quick replacement. And I, I put my my CV out there and um, and they hired me for one year. And now it's now I'm in my eighth or ninth year. It, it was just supposed to be a one-time thing, but it uh, it just remained. Feels just like the theater world, right? Sometimes the right place, the right time, you know, sure. a lot of luck. In, but a lot of, you know, what is the, the talent plus opportunity is skill right. or something like that. There's some equation there. Let's get into Texas State a bit. Um, I'd love to start kind of in brief. Yeah. What do you think it means to be a Texas State student? Like a Texas State student in general? No, I mean, sorry, te Texas State BFA acting student. Oh, great. Our students are amazing. I'm incredibly proud of our program and of our student body. We, um, we have an exceptionally diverse student body. We are, the students are a majority from Texas, but every class has uh, students from all over the country mm -hmm. as well. Um, and one of the neat things about what we do is we offer every student who, come, who joins the BFA acting program, the in-state tuition at Texas State. And thereby, you know, there's our, our sort of, um, the feather in our cap, right, mm -hmm. is that that you know our program is is super competitive on a on a national level, but it's uh, cheaper than just about any option. I shouldn't say cheap; it's more affordable yeah. than just about any option, other option that you'd have out there. So it's a really great way to uh, to prepare for the business without going into debt. 
Um, and so I, I would characterize our actors as uh, smart <laughs> in the beginning. Yeah. And then I think that the, the other sort of um, like sort of guiding principle that makes our pro- program feel unique, although I think a lot of other schools are moving in this direction, but we, we really, really, really try to uh, honor the, the artist, mm-hmm. the actual artist that um, is living inside these people and coming out of these people, as opposed to uh, trying to change them or make mm-hmm. them fit a cookie cutter mold. Um, we, we encourage, uh, I think more so than other programs, we encourage those secondary and tertiary skills like filmmaking, stage management, writing, directing, um, because being a multi-hyphenated uh, actor creator is mm-hmm. really what the business wants right now. Um, and if, if a young artist takes initiative um, when they hit the ground running and makes things happen for themselves, you know, it's the, this is the best time for it. Mm-hmm. This is a golden age, I think, um, for, for young artists with so many platforms um, out there for producing content and for getting your work out there and getting taken seriously by the business. And so we really try to be modern in that way uh, and help uh, prepare actors for the business now. I love that. And we'll get into some of those modern questions as, uh, a bit later too. Um, but I can echo really, you know, from having added at Texas State now to a lot of students' lists, um, both of the, those facts about um, the cost is often a huge win because you're fighting against geography. Often students, their goal is not necessarily, I want to go all the way to the southern tip of the country. Um, yeah. But that cost is huge yeah. for students and parents. And I think that a modern approach of more, a holistic, you know, look at the actor's um, personage um i think you guys are really cutting edge in that way i mean I, I don't know if it's the first but one of the first to offer wellness um to your students and i think that's a huge boon yeah. for them and a lot of teacher, students will talk about i want that i want that to be part of this i don't want a competitive environment where i'm feeling like it's cutthroat or any of those kind of things um so i think you guys are really yeah. um on the cutting edge there um this may be a little similar of a question but if you feel like a student spends four years at your school so maybe starts as a freshman spends four years and then graduate What's the biggest way you feel like they'd come out changed? So how, how has Texas State changed the student if they have? You know, it's hard to control for that and really find out because college is such a transformative experience for everyone mm-hmm. who goes through it, right? So, the, I mean, the, the transition from living in your parents' house uh, or on their dime and uh, to starting to figure out what kind of artist you want to be and what your values are and what you like to fight for, um, I mean, that changes people fundamentally. Um, and so it's fun to watch that journey and try to create a safe environment for that journey. Um, we really, uh, throw the gauntlet down at the feet of our students to form an effective ensemble for all four years, even though there will be drama. And this Mm -hmm. is true everywhere you go, right? There's, they say, don't have any showmances. It happens, right? Um, and so what we try to do from the beginning is, is recognize, you know, you may have chemistry with everyone and you may not. You may become lifelong best friends with people in your class, and you may not, but we do need to be uh, a supportive, caring, resilient mm. ensemble together mm. um, and grow together. So they, they leave with those skills and, um, and a real sort of network of support of how to collaborate and how to lean on one another because you have the rest of your life to be totally alone in this business, to feel like nobody cares about you, like um, like you, like the industry could take you or leave you, it can be a really scary feeling when you first graduate. Um, and I think ultimately we we really try to, uh, to help 
students feel like they have some options and some paths and some plans mm-hmm. for themselves when they get out of here. You know, it's a notoriously uh, challenging business to get into. And I think sometimes that it's possible that some uh, training programs might sort of wash their hands of it and be like, we, we're doing everything we can and, mm-hmm. you know, good luck and you'll make it or you won't, kid. And um, we we work really hard to demystify the things that can be de- demystified about the industry to really let students feel like they have access to, they spend their whole senior year, you know, researching the cities they might live, um, the casting directors and the agents there and the projects there and knowing where, where they meet the market and practicing uh, uh, interview skills and mm-hmm. uh, all sorts of things to help them really feel like they can aim at what they want uh, in this business and go for it and have a shot. That's so beautifully said and actually dovetails nicely with our mission statement. We're trying to demystify this daunting audition process. Um, yes. So I think it's really great. Um, I'm going to ask a tough question. Why do you think yes. a student might not choose your school? So if let's say I've got a couple options, why do you think you go, you might say, ah, maybe Texas State's not the fit for you? One of, one of my least favorite reasons, um, but it's true, is when people are from to nearby, like mm-hmm. some great uh, actors from Austin that just, I, I get it. They want to get away from their, yeah. their parents. They want to go somewhere else. And so sometimes we, we have a hard time recruiting um, certain Texas actors just because they want to leave Texas. They've always fantasized about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think another reason is, um, well, you know, like, I don't see ourselves as in competition with NYU. These are two, like, diametrically opposed experiences uh-huh. that you're considering. And so if a student gets into NYU and Texas State, it's really, it's a personal thing they have to decide. It's, like, it's not that one of them is going to be objectively better uh, than the other, but they couldn't be more different, you know? I think some students really, really need um, to be somewhere safe for a while to train and really mm-hmm. develop uh, in that place. But it's not so removed that I think students are, are surprised at how many folks from New York come down here as guest teachers or, um, you know, for festivals and things like that. Um, so there is a connection to the industry and to the real world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, you know, in New York, um, you know, my friends that have gone to Juilliard, you know, casting directors will come to their plays right. while they're a sophomore. Totally. And, like, yeah. and that's cool by one objective, by one metric. And it's, that's really scary and sort of unfair by another metric. Um, because I think yeah. it's important to be able to, um, spend some time setting things down and reassembling what you have. Um, and yep. we create a really, really, really safe and supportive environment for that. I love that. Um, I'm going to ask you now for the first time to talk about Texas State as a larger program, um, maybe outside of the theater program, if I was going in as a BFA actor, um, what does Texas State afford a prospective student outside of the theater program, to the best of your knowledge? Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's an enormous university. So uh, I really feel like you get uh, sort of the best of both worlds by being part of this intimate program, Mm. about 50 students total in all four years, with a lot of attention and a lot of um, sort of guidance through your four years inside this program. Mm -hmm. But then you're, you're in the context of this much larger university where they have, I still discover new departments or fields of study Mm -hmm. that Texas state offers that I haven't heard of yet. Mm -hmm. Um, You can really study so many different things. So that's cool. There's a lot of opportunities in that way. And a lot of our students, um, even though we're a demanding program, a lot of our students do minor and every now and then some of them double major. Uh Um, And so 
uh, a lot of uh, people take advantage of that and, you know, combine media or mass communication with their acting degree or business um, or dance. And so that's really cool. Um, San Marcos is amazing. Um, I think a lot of people who come to visit the, the school who don't live in Texas mm-hmm. are pleasantly surprised at how pretty the campus is. Um, we have the San Marcos River, which is truly sort of an amazing natural resource. It goes cuts right through campus, and it's this spring-fed river. Uh, so it's, it's something like 100 times cleaner than the FDA requires drinking water to be. You can see all the way to the bottom. It's 72 degrees year-round because it comes from the spring. That's mm-hmm. exactly 72 degrees. And so folks tube in it, and it's just this sort of center of this sort of the spirit of San Marcos. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a funky, cool town just outside of Austin. Um, it's got a lot of that Austin vibe, that weird vibe. More in- indie coffee shops and tattoo parlors than you could shake a stick at. Um, but I think it's a good place to go to college in that sense. Uh-huh. Um, some students, like, they want to get into the Greek life. It's not something that we encourage them to do because, again, like, the, the program is a big commitment. But some students, that's really valuable to them to to have the opportunity to be part of sort of some of the larger ideas of what college life is like, um, you know, going to the big football games, um, you know, Greek life or joining the drill team um, or the big choirs um, that come from the music program. There's just lots of ways to get involved, uh, lots of opportunities. I love that. Um, and I can really attest to um, my experience of when I, I went down there, um, how much it's like Austin. And I think if if you are coming from a perception of a Northeast or maybe a California of what you think Texas is going to be like, which I certainly had lived my whole life in the Northeast, it is much more liberal, much more funky. It felt like Brooklyn a lot more than it felt like what I would have thought of as Texas, um, which was yeah. really cool. I'd love to talk a little bit in from in the acting world um, about, let's say I was a yeah. student who wants to pursue a BFA in acting. I've made that decision, but I maybe come from the musical theater world. Um, are there any opportunities in terms of collaboration or, or what musical theater training might I get if I'm an actor and I still have a little foot in that musical theater world? That's a really good question. And that's sort of a, um, like the right profile, I think, for us. I think we have a lot of students in our program who are really invested in acting and acting training, but do have a foot in the musical theater world. I think the, the the recipe for being miserable would be if you truly feel like you are in your soul a musical mm-hmm. theater person and you were to join our program, you may you may always look at our sister program across the hall, mm-hmm. the musical theater program, and always wish you were over there. But I wouldn't recommend that on anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so definitely we, we have a lot of musical theater achievers in our acting program, which mm-hmm. makes me sometimes wonder, like, do I have a bias towards this or something? But <laughs> I think that musical theater is so popular at the, at the high school level. Yes. Uh, and it's hard for students to get um, really satisfying um, experiences with, we need a new word for straight theater because I hate calling it straight uh-huh. theater, right? But for non-musicals, sometimes it's hard to have a satisfying experience doing that. And so really college is their first opportunity to really explore the real work in that way. Um, and so our program is perfect for people like that because um we are sister programs. So, so the musical theater program and the acting program, we share master teachers often. We share resources. Um, we put our first years together in the same dorm so that they can become friends and, and roommates and start relationships that way. Um, the, all of the productions that we do are open to all university students. Hmm. 
So actors can be cast in the musicals. Of course, the musical theater students tend to dominate those cast lists, mm-hmm. but actors do get cast uh, in the musicals and the musical theater students can audition for the plays. And same with uh, all of the performance and production majors, which mm-hmm. are 350 of them. We're the second largest theater department in the country, mm-hmm. right? So we have this full producing season, but to me, it's, it's great that the whole ecosystem participates in all these productions and does it make the casting a little bit more competitive? Yes, but I think only in a healthy way. We have so many opportunities that our actors are always turning things down. Um, and so that's useful. Mm. Also, uh, Caitlin and the musical theater program are really, really generous in that when they have room in their musical theater dance classes, um, our, they fill those out with students uh-huh. from uh, the appropriate level from our uh, acting BFA. That's really handy. Um, there are some students who, you know, the musical theater program at Texas State is known for one voice, Michael Moresca's sort of groundbreaking um, vocal technique. And so we have acting students that study privately with him. Um, so they pay for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is there are classes such as singing for the actor, which are taught sort of using the one voice technique, which uh-huh. our actors can audition for and take. And so we do have lots of we have we have actors in our program who do summer stock every summer, musical theater and do acting mm-hmm. during the year with us. Um, so it's a great place to sort of cobble together your own uh, program in that way. There's something really beautiful about that, like messy idea too, because I think it was it's a little bit of a shock to some students sometimes if you don't have some overlap that like mm-hmm. once you get out in the world, nobody cares what's on your degree. That like you can lose to an acting student in the professional world if they can sing. Like, no one's gonna say, "Were you an MT?" Yeah, was that an MT? I'm mean, not hearing MT in the voice. It's like no, if you can sing and you can yeah. dance, you can be in the show. Um, yeah, so true. Yeah. Anything else about your school that we feel like we missed that you want to brag about that we we didn't hit? Oh man, um, I mean. There's so many great things. Um, we cover the gambit in terms of our uh, curriculum. We have so much diversity in our student body, but also in uh, our teachers and the approaches that we teach. So we mm-hmm. learn a lot of different techniques and we get access to things that I know you can't get anywhere else, such as Laura Lane teaches the style, which comes, which is a technique that comes out of the Actors Gang, a theater company mm-hmm. in LA that was founded by um, Tim Robbins. Um, and folks like Jack Black and others sort of came up through the actors getting learning the style. It's this highly physical, um, like crazy characterization technique um, that is, you just can't hide. You're naked in that class. Like you have to grow <laughs> um, or, or, or else or turtle up. Um, and that's amazing. The students get to work on Russian movement technique with me, um, which is not something that's offered at a lot of universities. Mm-hmm. Um, we have this amazing film program that's inside the theater department that's growing and growing. It's getting its new, a new building next year. And the faculty members in that program are these like award-winning killer indie film directors um, here in Texas. And so the film program is growing like gangbusters and our students are appearing on film more and more. So it's just a really exciting place to come to school right now. I love that answer. Um, Let's get a little bit into the audition now. So I have a couple questions kind of about your audition process um, as a prospective student who might be auditioning. Give me just a, a short, maybe a couple words of what do you think in general makes a good audition for Texas State? Um, I've noticed that we have a trend towards um, unconventionality. Is that a word? Unconventionalism? Unconventionativity? <laughs> you'll, just, you'll fix that in post. No, yeah. Unconventionativity um, is what it was. I'm glad that you got there. You were right there. Yeah. We, we tend to, to love students who, um, regardless of how much 
acting technique they've learned, because we can teach them that, mm-hmm. um, seem to um, know themselves and to be unique um, and, and, and can be present, even if they're introverted, even if they are nervous, um, that can be present with their nerves or with their introversion so mm-hmm. that we have access to them and we can get to know them in that short amount of time. Mm. Um, you know, students, and we, I, I tend to favor um, nerds, like people that are nerds about acting that are want to be nerds that want to get into it. And like the, their idea of a good time is to sit around and read a Shakespeare play out loud together. Mm-hmm. You know, we're looking for people who are gamers who want to come and get to work um, mm-hmm. because the mantra of our program is the joy is in the work. If you can learn to enjoy the work, you can be happy doing this for the rest of your life. That's so true. Um, a student's favorite question, is there anything you definitely do not want to see in a student's audition? Any stay aways? Um, well, I'll tell you like what personally irks me. Yes, please. <laughs> and, um, and I like I should, I should just disclaim this with, I feel that we do a really great job of creating a safe and welcoming audition environment. Uh-huh. I... I get so frustrated with with schools that still are stuck in sort of the old school of folding their arms, leaning back, and just sort uh-huh. of wanting you to professionally dazzle them, uh-huh. you know, or they're, they're like they're they're quietly judging your audition technique. I I would rather um, spend some time getting to know them so that by the end they really are closest to doing their best work or being their most mm-hmm. present. Uh, I don't. I don't need them to automatically be good at that. I just need them to be able to arrive at that uh, mm-hmm. with me in the room. Uh, a thing that bothers me, um, are, they're, they're pretty cliche, but it's just true. If, if I ask them about the the given circumstances or the context um, and they haven't read the play or they don't know, um, mm-hmm. that's frustrating. You want to come to acting school for four years and really dig into this and you couldn't be bothered to read the play that your monologue is from. Mm-hmm. Even if they're recontexting it, right? And I have a problem with them recontexting it. Do you know what I mean when I say that? I do. Maybe to help Megan out and our listeners. Yeah. If the character, you know, like we might normally say, don't play a character who's 55 and a grandfather, because um, you, you would have a hard time relating to that. But if the student were to say, but I loved this text, and I thought it would really work on an 18-year-old kid who has an old mm-hmm. soul. And so that's what I'm imagining. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. That's mm-hmm. cool. Um, the... The other thing that really bothers me is, and I, I keep waiting for one of these people to, to like, show up at my door and punch me in the nose, but I monologues by Gabriel Davis, Wade Bradford, Kelly Diamond, Joseph Arnaud, these sort of, they're funny writers, they're funny, but when we're laughing at them, we're laughing at mm-hmm. their witty writing, and they write these one-off monologues that have no larger context and so the monologues sort of become one-trick ponies. And, and I'm trying to keep stay objective and open-minded, but when I see a student who does one of these sort of one-trick pony monologues, I feel like this person doesn't read plays. This person found this up by Googling uh-huh. funny monologues. Um, and it makes me feel like they're, they're not as serious. Um, that being said, like, we love a monologue from a Netflix show. We love a monologue from, um, like, from Reddit you know, comments, you know, like we love creativity in that way. Um, and it seems like it's sort of the anti-creativity to do sort of a monologue book monologue um, just because it's, you know, witty writing. Right.
Yeah. The other thing, you know, I think that we're turned off by over formality, people who wear like their church clothes to audition and are, feel stiff. You know, we're just really trying to get to know people in a short amount of time. And so the, the closer you can be to yourself, the better. Um, I'd love to ask you a bit about what I here maybe specifically as a BFA acting. Um, what has your relationship been yeah. with pre-screens? Have something you've explored as something that you are using? Um, yeah, Tom's screen up for that. Yeah, we do pre-screens on Get Accepted. So we so we ask students to submit via Get Accepted. Um, there are some ways to sort of skip that. If we go to um, any events that year, if we go to Chicago Unifieds or the North Texas mm-hmm. Drama Auditions or um, Moonifieds um, or any other sort of uh, unified thing, um, people can sort of skip that process. But yeah, we use Get Accepted and we so we look at uh, uh, materials on there and then we will invite folks to our callbacks. And then is there any different advice or so any of the answers that you had before, would they change for a pre-screen audition? Is there anything kind of different you'd want to see in a pre-screen? You know, what we don't see enough of uh, is is using the frame or the camera, um, using the space. Um, it's, you know, again, it shouldn't take over, you know, it's the, the work, the work that you're doing is the most important thing. And so if it, if it gets you in your head to change it up too much, you'll, mm-hmm. you'll still shine just by doing your work. But I think that there are opportunities to use proximity or distance or um, I think there's something about the X in the audition room or the webcam or the camera in the filmed audition that gets people to be to feel stuck and be a little bit stale and fall into sort of a talking head scenario. And we really favor actors that um, are in their bodies or are interested in using their body. It's so interesting this year as you know, pre-screens took on a different kind of weight in the pandemic as different schools would sort of mm-hmm. allude to that or sometimes even require that, the, the mo- the, it would like freak our students mm-hmm. out. They would go, oh God, I have to do what for this school? Are they asking me in a weird location? Are they asking me to, sometimes I'm like, they're, yeah, they're asking me to be creative. Like you're artists, like let's let's go be creative yeah. now. Like that's, you know, if that's their only audition, this is their chance to see that creativity. Yeah, my favorite part about the pre-screens are the, the slates because we ask them every year, we'll ask them one or two sort of interesting or off, off the beaten mm-hmm. path questions. Um, so this year it was, uh, tell us an artist under 40 that you love and mm-hmm. respect and why. Um, and I just love that, you know, so many of us who have seen, who watch thousands and thousands of monologues a year. Um, I, I honestly feel like I could, I can get what I need sometimes from 10 seconds uh-huh. of your monologue. And then I'll, I'll watch your slate five times to get a sense of who you are. Do I, I'm going to spend time with you for four years, right? Like, what is it? What's your, yep. what's your vibe? Um, and so that's really nice. And when folks have clearly sort of scripted and canned those answers, that sucks because it, once again, it feels like we're not getting to know you. Like, I, I almost wish, ooh, maybe we'll try it next year where they have to open the question on camera and then answer it. <laughs> a big reveal. Yeah. Get, get into the technology. Yeah, um, I have a weird question for you. Yes. Um, if you had to estimate, and you can estimate however you want a number or percentage or whatever, um, how much of the decision of a kid being accepted or not is based on the skill displayed in their monologue work versus what I'll call the intangibles, the interview, the adjustments, how they walk in the room if it's a live audition. How much weight are you putting on sort of skill displayed as an actor in the work versus how much on those intangibles? In truth, it's sort of, I feel like we sort of accept some students with one metric and some students with another because it's all about balance, right? But we, we do we do try to include a couple of students um, in each year's class that don't have a lot of craft yet, 
but just feel like uh-huh. pure potential. And we tend to have a couple of students who, whose resumes are like longer than mine. And it's like eight point font. I'm like, how have you done so many plays when you're 18? I yep. don't understand. You know? And so, so the truth is, I think it's, it's like 80% uh-huh. the intangibles. Um, I think there's a certain like level of, can you speak out loud? Do you have a sense of what the job is as an actor? You know what I mean? That you have to sort of a bar that you have to clear sort of basic competence, but most students who are auditioning fracking programs have that not all, but most have that. And then from there it's, yeah, it's, it's a million other intangible things because the truth is we're in an incredibly like unfair privileged position. We, you know, we folks that are, that are accepting mm-hmm. students for a college program because we just have more supply than we could ever. So every year I'm turning away great mm-hmm. actor, great people, you know, like, we just don't have the numbers. Uh, like we just can't take yep. 45 people. Um, and I, I hate that part of the job because I would hate for someone to get uh, a no thank you from us and take that as like a lesson mm-hmm. or a sign. It's just not true. Um, there are, there are so many great students that, mm-hmm. that we say no to um, just because we can, because we can really um, like focus on, on other things that that a student can't necessarily control so you could do your best and you could be great and you still might not get so in. true and i think it's, it's one of the big lessons people learn in this process is that it's not so personal as all that if i spent 10 minutes with you it's not the, the holistic rejection of you as a human being just because you're not getting into the school exactly. it's really hard though i mean it's easy to say that having gone through the business and taken so much rejection it's like it's not easy at 17 when you yeah. have been the lead in all of your high school musicals and you don't know anything else it's it's a really difficult process yeah um, if I could add in, sure. what do you think, what percentage, not to, you don't have to add it into the 80-20, but how much percentage do you feel like lives in the academics for you guys in terms of if if the student, you like them artistically, what kind of threshold do they have to hit academically for the school or not in terms of getting into the school? I sort of struggle with what, what that should be. Um, it's something that I'm sort of actively like analyzing in real time because I think that we might have... I feel like I'm detecting that we have a little bit of a bias towards academic achievement. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's unfair just because acting is not an academic pursuit. That being said, it's a right. liberal arts school. So it's, it's not a conservatory program. It's a conservatory right. style program in the context of a liberal arts university. And so you have to get by, mm-hmm. you have to succeed. That said, we've had students get rejected by the university academically um, that we have fought for with what we call a special mm-hmm. talent waiver and, um, and gotten them accepted. Um, but it's, you know, it's a taller order. You're, we're taking on more if we have to help you find the tutoring mm-hmm. and help you sort of stay on, on the ball. Um, the other thing, the other reason why academic achieving helps is if you get a scholarship from the university that gives you in-state tuition. Um, and so if we have a very limited amount of, scholarship dollars that we can offer because we're so affordable. We're not like uh-huh. a big money university. If you manage to get a scholarship, that means I can offer to you for free. I don't have to pay money to give you the, uh, the in-state tuition. So that helps out-of-state students when they, when they are academic achievers. That totally makes sense. And I think it's a really, it's confusing for um, students who are looking at this process for the first time to kind of understand that conservatory liberal arts, you know, sort of the BFA spectrum of, especially those BFA liberal arts schools can run a really large gamut of how academic, how not in terms of the admittance. It's, it's right. difficult to see from the outside, but of course, from inside, you're like, well, this is what, how our school works. And it's always a little different. 
Yeah. Um, okay. I had one more question for you, which is just, uh, um, you, you hit on this a little bit in terms of the, the challenges of, of 2021 specifically, um, both in terms of, we can talk a little bit about racial equity, um, but then also kind of the demands of this virtual world that we just all stepped into. Um, I'd love to kind of hear about how is Texas State uh, approaching sort of being prepared to meet this moment? How have you changed maybe in the last number of years? And, and where do you kind of see yourself going as you keep trying to meet the moments that are coming? I mean, it's the the work is going to be nonstop for a while. Um, there, we we have a lot of things that we're doing well already. Um, Texas State in general is a, a, an Hispanic serving institution, right? So um, there's Texas State is something like forty percent Latinx, um, and our theater department um, matches that number. Our acting area, um, our acting students are really, really diverse. And I'm really, really proud of that. Um, you know, we have something like 45% BIPOC students, um, and, uh, which is really great. Um, it can be tricky in recruiting, um, because just in general, um, you know, students, uh, who are of color can, can just be a demographic that's more in demand, uh, in particular male identified black actors. It's, we really, um, are having to innovate and try to come up with new ways to recruit um, because it can be really hard to find uh, those students, um, and the, and many of them will get frustrated because many of them will get offered full rides at other universities, and we, we can't do something like that. So we're having to be more and more innovative with how we recruit. We have some some creative ways in which we do that. Um, we we've recruited actors in the past out of um, the the population of the university. So um, we've discovered actors in college. Um, and then um, pulled them into our program, which helps us maintain diversity and reach out. Um, but there's more. There's so much more for us to do. Um, the whole department is focusing on uh, anti-racist training and practices right now and decolonizing the classroom. Um, one of the coolest things that happens at Texas State uh, every single year is the Black and Latino Playwrights Conference. That's in the first couple of weeks of school every single year. And we honor a legend um, every single time. Um, some amazing, amazing uh, writers have come through. Um, but also we develop new work um, submitted from all over the country by uh, play playwrights of color. Um, and we bring in professional directors and some of our current students work and some professional actors. And we, um, and we create this um, opportunity to sort of celebrate the work. Um, and uh, as our artistic director of BLPC, Eugene Lee says to to level the playing field um, and um, to add to the canon and help the students get uh, exposed to more voices than just a lot of plays by old dead white people. <laughs> so That's we're at work. There's always more to do. The, the other thing that I think that is a real feather in the cap of Texas State in that way is the affordability. We have a huge amount of first-generation college students, mm -hmm. which is really cool. And, and, we and we have a lot of students in our program who – um, by breaking their backs, unfortunately, are putting themselves through the program. Um, mm. They're working their tails off over the summer. Um, they're picking up a ton of shifts when they're not in rehearsal. Um, and mm. they're managing to pay their way through college. And that kind of resilience and initiative is something that's going to serve them in the business. So true. And it's a form of equity, and not just racial equity, but it's a form of equity you have offered for a long period of time, where some of these schools are just out of a price range that is affordable right. for anyone. Yeah. I recently had a student, I won't say their name, who was offered $71,000 from a university 
and had to keep negotiating because I was like, how, how much higher is it going to go? Like, it's just the schools are so insane. I mean, just the, the costs can get so insane. If we offered them $71,000, it would mean that when they graduate, we pay them. <laughs> yeah, that's for all four years. This was per year. This was 71000 a year, let's be clear. Um, we didn't really talk about the demands of the virtual world um, in terms of, I just love to hear, uh, certainly in terms of how your students uh, are going to be prepared, it would be great. But also, if you want to talk a little bit about, do you have a sense from auditioning this year and how auditions might continue in the pandemic Zoom or not Zoom world? Yeah, well, speaking of Speaking of equity, I think one one of the like silver linings or one of the things that we learned from having to do an audition season uh, online is that that is a great way to level the playing field. Uh, not everyone can afford to fly in to one of our on-campus audition days. And so I think that we're going to be interested in having at least one callback process that's mm-hmm. virtual uh, ongoing in the future so that we can give more access to people who want to consider the school. Um, the, you know, I know that we'll be very, very happy to be back in person in the fall. Um, I think that we have really mined what's possible to work online. Mm -hmm. Um, but that being said, students are definitely taking advantage of this moment to, um, we focus a lot on self-taping, um, and, uh, on on online presence and even talk about social media and things like that, Mm -hmm. uh, in our program. And so they've had the opportunity to practice in that way because these days you know i talk to my friends in la and even the ones that are local in la that the networks don't want you to come anymore they want you to put yourself on right. tape like that's just the way it is now in some ways the way it has been i mean you really the pandemic is forcing you to catch up to the way the industry was going you know for small things right m- m- most of the time it would be put yourself on tape you know that's just what it is yeah for sure great any final thoughts anything else that we missed that we would really want to cover in a, a snack of texas state a snack mm, give me a bite. you know I, I am a stress ball right now because i'm still assembling mm. our class of 2025 uh and it's april 13th right now normally we feel like we're coming to a close at this point um but i think COVID has really changed a lot of things we have a lot of open offers and a lot of students hope, sitting on those offers and not making decisions which is frustrating but at the same time i believe in giving them the time to take their time but one thing i find myself saying you know to these students when i talk to them a lot is um, it's not that there's one correct decision that you have to figure out or else you'll be miserable in every other path. Mm-hmm. The truth is with these really talented students that have offers from multiple schools and they're attracted to more than one school, it means that that probably that any of those would be, you'd be fine. Yep. You'd be just fine. And and so you can choose, you don't have to wait ex, add extra weight to the decision. You can choose based on something that feels trivial or something that feels like one little piece or just based on your gut, even though you can't identify it. And that's okay, that you will be fine. Mm-hmm. With the talent that you have and the interest that you have and the drive, you can make multiple paths work. It's going to be stressful either way. So you can't say don't stress, but but you'll be okay. You can make a decision. It's so true. I just was saying this to our students on a recent webinar of like, this is not, it is in some ways, of course, it may be a sweatshirt that you keep in your p- closet for 20 years, but it is not a life-defining, right. altering decision of whether you'll be successful or not, no matter what school you g- got into or didn't get into. I think people sometimes want to define themselves. I didn't get into X school. That means I'm not an X kind of actor. So it means not, by the time you're 30, yeah. you're going to be such a different actor at that point. It is not going to define everything about your life. Yeah. And, you know, and, and there's always grad school. You know, I got a general theater degree and then went to a conservatory yeah. later. Um, and I, I think, you know, that I was all the, all the stronger for having taken five years in between 
had I really knew what I was, was trying to do uh, when I was getting my MFA. And so, yeah, college didn't define me at all. It's, it's so true. I mean, it's, uh, it's right now to a student who's 17, 18, it feels like the final step of a process. And really, it's just the first step. It's the first step on your, maybe it's yeah. the second step if you've been doing a lot of training in high school, but it's just one more step on your training journey that's hopefully continuing for the next 50 years. Neil, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we really appreciate your time. It's my pleasure. Okay, uh, I hope you all enjoyed that interview with Neil. I just wanted to get a little bit into, um, for those of you who may be here starting your college audition journey, a little deeper dive on that BFA liberal arts discussion. Um, Neil was kind of outlining beautifully the tension that they sometimes feel between what is the conservatory environment within a liberal arts university. Um, again, I think it is helpful for those, um, if you haven't sort of begun your, your list construction, to look at schools and sort of see where do they fall on that spectrum from a BFA conservatory, maybe a conservatory program that's not associated with the university at all or very loosely affiliated, versus a BFA program that's within a liberal arts university, which can span all the way from still pretty loosely affiliated, still mostly conservatory style, all the way to a real 50-50 mix of liberal arts and uh, um, conservatory style training, um, all the way to an audition-based BA where you'll just kind of major in theater. That can happen. Or even maybe on the far end of the spectrum, which would be a non-audition um, program where you can still major in theater. So all the different ways you can explore theater as a college major, um, but on a large spectrum where it can be very different. Um, in Texas, they falling somewhere on that third quartile um, in the BFA liberal arts um, category. And that's where we were talking about, could you get a minor? Could you get a double major? Is there going to be Greek life? A little bit more likely at those liberal arts um, universities, even if there's a conservatory style. Well, if you enjoyed that preview episode with Neil and you want to hear some more, please hit that follow button. We'd also love it if you were to rate and review us wherever you found us. I suggest five stars if you're also having a baby yourself and maybe an ironic five stars if you were once a baby yourself. Um, you can also reach out to us with questions for the pod at mailbag at mappingthecollegeedition.com. And if you're interested in working with MTCA for help with your individual prep for your college edition journey, please check us out at mtcollegeauditions.com. Um, to my young artists out there mapping their journeys, never lose that unconventionality. We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.